And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. Everybody, hands on apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful Radio's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. So, uh, hey, we're rocking and rolling here in the dojo, and we're continuing today talking about the rapture. The rapture, uh, many of you may be familiar with this idea. It's a Protestant idea, it's really a distinctively American idea. That there will be a three, well, actually, there will be three comings of Christ in history. The first was in Bethlehem, and the second will be near the end of time, and then ultimately uh, at the end of time itself. And that near at the end of time will be when Jesus will come in the clouds, and he will rapture up. He will take up all the elect, and uh, leaving behind those who are not elect, and that would be uh, the, um, uh, well, it depends on what your uh, system is. It could be the time of tribulation, which could be before or after the rapture. But I'm not going to get into the details because we don't need to do that. But many of you are familiar with this uh, Protestant idea of the rapture. Is it biblical? Do we as Catholics have a kind of understanding of a rapture? Well, to help us look at that, next uh, we are going to talk to William Hemsworth. William Hemsworth, of course, is a great apologist in his own right, a convert to the Catholic faith. He's going to be coming up on the other side of the break, and we're going to be talking about the rapture. So uh, you don't want to miss it. A very popular belief within Protestantism. And as always on this side of the break, we begin our show by uh, doing our intellectual op- uh, not obstacles, but inter- boy, I can't talk today. Uh, our um, critical thinking skills with finding the fallacy, and else we meet an early church father. So um, today's finding the fallacy, by the way, is the survival fallacy, also known as the survivorship bias. Um, and our early church father for today is Saint Gregory of Tours. St. Gregory of Tours. So, I uh, got some great stuff in store for us. So, before we begin, let's start off by welcoming all of you watching live stream on social media. Hello, everybody. Also, I want to welcome all of you listening on radio around the country and also via podcast around the world. Welcome aboard, folks. It's great to have you in the dojo. Um, let's see. One thing I want to point out is that. Virgin Most Powerful Radio not only produces this program and many other awesome programs, but uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio also has live conferences right there at the Sacred Heart Chapel. And uh, if you want to find out about those conferences, because, you know, as warriors of Christ, as defenders of the faith, we should always be uh, constantly, you know, learning more about Jesus, being able to bring the gospel into the world and we can do that through some really great resources, such as the Sex and Honor Conference that's going to be coming up soon on August 7th. Um, it's going to have uh, Dr. Luis Sandoval, uh, Sherry Bellinger, and also Mary Darnell Barber 
Uh, they're all going to be there live in Covina, California at the Sacred Heart Chapel on uh, August 7th. You don't want to miss it. It's also, by the way, going to be available live stream as well. So to get all the deets about what the talks are, when they are, and how you can either register to come and enjoy this conference in person, which, by the way, is a great relief, you know, after all this COVID stuff, and I'm sure everybody's sick and tired of doing Zoom meetings. Uh, it'd be nice to be there if you can. You can get all the details right there at virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Right on the homepage, you'll see the banner. Just click on it, and boom, you got all the information right there. And also about future conferences and so on. So that's definitely a website you want to check over and over again. By the way, while you're there, you can also access all our programs. So maybe you have a good friend who believes in the rapture. You're not really sure how to talk to them, and you would like to give them some good information on that belief. Uh, you can share this show. Just go there, click on Hands-On Apologetics, and uh, you have access to all the shows. You can do all sorts of stuff with it. You can share it, tell people about it. And that's all part of new evangelism. That's sharing good resources with people. And by the way, you can do that not only with hands-on apologetics, but all the great shows that Virgin Most Powerful produces. All right. So let's see if you have a question for William Hemsworth on the other side of the break. You can always give us a call at 888-526-2151. That is 888-526-2151. Or you can email. Maybe you just uh, want to communicate through email you can always send me an email through the official dojo mailbox which is questions at handsonapologetics.com that goes directly to me folks and uh, i do enjoy reading your emails so good stuff good stuff uh let's see i think we are all set why don't we jump into the finding the fallacy for today, which is the survivor fallacy, also known as survivorship bias, also known as survival bias, is a logical error of concentrating on the people or things that made it past some selection process, overlooking those that did not, typically because of their lack of visibility. This can lead to a false conclusion in several different ways. So uh, survival uh, ship fallacy is when somebody ignores the fact that maybe something you have on hand, whatever data it is, just so happens to be those things that uh, made it through some sort of a, a selection process. Um, if you ever look this up on the web, by the way, you almost always get a picture of a World War II bomber with uh, indications where there were bullet holes on the plane. And uh, th that's the reason why it's there is because when these planes came back, now remember many of these bombers didn't come back to uh, England on their raids, they would note where the shots were on the aircraft and mark it so that they can maybe build, build in more armor or something to help more and more aircraft survive. Well, at first you would think that you would want armor where there was the most bullet holes, but actually, that's survivorship uh, right there. That's a, a bias because these are the planes that have survived. What you want to do is put armor where there were shots where they didn't survive. So it's actually the places that didn't have bullet holes were the places that you needed to put armor. I know it, it almost sounds counterintuitive, but 
if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because uh, those who weren't shot in those areas were able to return home. Now, does this occur in uh, apologetics? Yes, it does in various ways. Um, it's not a super huge fallacy. But, you know, you should always keep in mind that uh, evidence, especially from the early church, these are surviving documents. They really are the tip of the iceberg of uh, all the writings that were already out there at that time. Uh, the question is whether or not you have a decent sample size that's representative of those that maybe didn't survive the ages. That's where you want to focus on. And, by the way, that is our Finding the Fallacy for today. All right, so let's jump to meet our early church father, who is St. Gregory of Tours. St. Gregory of Tours is the son of a respected senatorial family of Gaul, which is modern-day France. Um, was born on November 30th, 538, and uh, his great-grandfather, uh, grandfather of his mother, was uh, another uh, Gregory, uh, uh, who was also a bishop. And also Anicetus, the Bishop of Lyon, was also a great uncle. And Gallus, the Bishop of Claremont, was also an uncle of his father's side. Uh, Gregory's father, Florentinus, died young. And it was Gallus, uh, Florentinus's father, who, or excuse me, brother, who imparted to Gregory his earliest Christian training. So he has many, many bishops within his family. So, you know, it's funny, he's, he really does come from holy stock. Gregory of Tours, soon after uh, his ordination to the diaconate, uh, was taken ill. In about the year 563, he made a pilgrimage to the shrine of St. Martin of Tours, where he hoped for a cure. Ten years later, in the middle of his 30s, he was elected Bishop of Tours uh, to succeed another of his mother's relatives, Euphronius of Tours. And it was uh, to celebrate Gregory's ascension to the Episcopate of Tours that Valentinius Fortunatus wrote a poem on uh, St. Gregory. St. Gregory was a man of particular grace and honor, even among his peers and contemporaries, enjoying an enormous respect throughout Gaul, or France, and uh, serving often as an emissary for King Chalbert II. Um, the only thing that prevents our styling Gregory as among the greatest of the Romantic uh, writers of the Romantic age is the fact that uh, the title really belongs already and perpetually to his friend Ventenius Fortunatus, the fellow we just mentioned who composed that poem. He died on uh, November 17th, possibly 593 and most likely 594. Uh, he is the author, as an author, excuse me, Gregory was best remembered for his history of the Franks in 10 books. Nevertheless, we shall have occasion to offer citations, says Jurgen's Faith and Early Fathers, from another one, which is called The Glory, uh, Glorious Martyrdom in Eight Books, or also known as The uh, Eight Books of Miracles. And this Eight Books of Miracles consists of writings composed at various times and finally combined into one work by Gregory himself. And uh, that work comes down to us today. And by the way, you can read it for yourself. And that is our early church father for today, St. Gregory of Tours. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with our good friend, William Hemsworth. Stay tuned, everybody.
Here's a great way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Do you have an old car you want to get rid of, motorcycle, RV, or boat? Simply call 855-500-7433. And when they sell that vehicle, a portion of that money comes right back to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. It's an easy way to do it. I want to thank you for it. Call 855-500-7433. God love you and your family. going to have a baby? She is. Will it be a boy? Or will it be a girl? We don't know yet, but we heard the heartbeat and my dad said this is going to be someone very special. You mean like being a president? Or maybe a doctor? Well, probably maybe like a singer or dancer, I think. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. We know that every baby is a miracle and has the potential to do great things. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. Dan Lutheran, who converted to Catholicism while attending seminary. Uh, he's the husband and father of four who is passionate about passing on the faith and he assists uh, adults and children in the parish in his parish in Tucson, Arizona. He's also a popular author, blogger, podcaster. You can check out his great stuff at williamhemsworth.com and also check out his YouTube channel, The Bible Catholic, right there on YouTube. So, William Hemsworth, welcome to Hands On Apologetics. Well, Gary, thinking with you. Uh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, hey, it seems like we were just talking a few days ago. Yeah, just on Friday. So look for that show soon, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just to bring you up to speed, uh, William, you know, he has a fantastic uh, show. And uh, despite his better judgment, he had me as a guest last Friday. So. <laughs> So, you know what? Things must be going good on your channel, William, that you want to drive down the numbers by having me on. <laughs> oh, Gary, you're, you're too modest. Um, for everyone listening, um, when I was a Protestant and started seriously looking into things like the Deuterocanon, I came across Gary's debate with James White, and that helped me push me over the edge on the Deuterocanon. 
So Gary's a little too modest. Uh, so it's always a pleasure to have Gary on. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate that, William. But hey, uh, the pleasure is mutual because, man, when you're on, uh, it's it's always an education. I'm always learning new things. And uh, especially for this, I have to say, of all the different uh, things I've studied over the years, of differences between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, this particular topic, I think, I know the least about. I never really looked into. Uh, so maybe you can give us an introduction. What exact, exactly is the rapture? Well, sure. The rapture is this idea that at the end of the world, if you say the, the millennium, and we'll get into that in a minute, the believers, the church, will be caught up. They'll be taken off the earth before this great tribulation for all these bad things happen on the earth. And theologically speaking, it's a pretty novel idea. It's only been around for a couple hundred years, but it really gained steam between the 1970s and the year 2000. Uh, so in the 1970s, a gentleman by the name of Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And up until it's up until today, it's sold about 40 million copies, Gary, but it's sold quite a few. Wow. Do you know the only book that's outsold it in the nonfiction category? No. The Bible. Wow. Really? <laughs> pretty amazing. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah. And so, so as Catholics, you know, we, obviously we don't teach the rapture, but I think sometimes we have this idea that it's this fringe idea and granted, not all Protestants believe it. But a lot of your more conservative ones will. And there was a study that came out in 1998. I mean, it's, it's a bit older. That said the idea got so popular that about between 30 and 40 percent of all Americans actually believed it in some some one way or one, some form or another. Hmm. Um, so like I said, it's the idea that the believers, the church will be caught up at the before the end of the world. Uh, to be with Christ in heaven so they won't have to endure all the bad things that are going to happen to those who didn't believe. So yeah. last time I was on your show, we talked about the church fathers. Did they believe it? Because some tried to get pretty innovative and try to link it to history to try to get some meat on the bone, so, if you, yeah. so to speak. But is is it biblical? Um, I guess that's what, what we're here to figure out. But that's kind of a rough rundown of what the rapture is. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that's because uh, uh, I don't think Catholics uh, are very familiar with it. It's, it's it, but it is out there in the culture. So, it you is. know, I imagine they might pick up on it just thinking that, well, this must be one of those church teachings I just never learned in school or something. And uh, yeah, so that was a lot of fun last time you were on when we were looking at uh, some of the early church fathers that supposedly believed in the rapture. And uh, that was a lot of fun debunking those. So uh, right. so what are we going to look at today? Well, I think to start off, we have to look at the concept of the millennium. So when you when you have a Protestant friend who's talking about the rapture, there's a few places they're going to go. Uh, one is to the book of Revelation, because for them, it's a book of prophecy. What's, what's going to happen later on? Um, the interesting thing about the rapture, though, Gary, is that the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Okay, um, so some dis some who believe in the rapture, like Pastor Greg Laurie, for example, he points to First Corinthians four seventeen, how Paul says believers will be caught up in the air. Well, the word for rapture actually comes from the Latin vulgate. Okay, it's called rapimir, and so that's where the word rapture comes from. Though it's not a Catholic teaching, 
the word derives from St. Jerome, which is very ironic <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. So, a lot of, so a lot of people don't realize that. But it all hinges on the millennium. So that thousand-year period uh, where Christ reigns. And we find that in Revelation chapter 20. So that's really the crux as far as the book of Revelation goes for it. And this is when the angel comes down from heaven, um, holding the hand of the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain. And the angel seizes the dragon, the ancient serpent, serpent the devil, and binds him for a thousand years. So a, a lot of apocalyptic imagery here. But there's three ways we can go. Uh, there's the post-millennial view, which is still held by some Protestants, but not, not nearly as many as it used to. And basically, it interprets this thousand-year period as it's figurative, it's symbolic. And it's a period of history where the gospel goes around the whole world. The whole world is Christianized, and then only at that time, that's when Jesus will come back. And so... That's why with some, with some, you have this, as we all should, we should all be evangelizing anyway, but there's like this urgent need to evangelize because everyone has to hear it or else Jesus just is never going to come back. And that's more of a minority view nowadays. Um, there's another view that's called, um, called amillennialism or amillennialism, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Again, it's a thousand year period that's more figurative. We kind of call it the church age, if you will. It's it it's um it's the Catholic opinion, and it comes from Saint Jerome in his great writing, The City of God, and talks about how this eight um, lost my place here. I'm sorry, I had my notes, but I moved them around. <laughs> <laughs> no, All right, wow. so the millennium is said to represent the stretch of history between the first and second coming, where Christ rises to prominence. So the church is coming to prominent. And then there's the premillennial premillennial view. And that's kind of what we talked about last time, because the whole rapture theory or rests on this premillennial view. And this is a literal 1,000-year view where Jesus will come back and establish a literal 1,000-year earthly kingdom. Um, and so those who believe in the rapture, Say that this second coming will come for will come. Mm -hmm. The rap the rapture will happen, uh, the tribulation will happen, and then there's that thousand year period. Okay. Well, now what's interesting though about the rapture is it's not just the second coming. There's actually three comings, just like you said at the top of the hour, Gary. Mm -hmm. Christ being born in Bethlehem. There's this idea of a secret rapture, where. Jesus will come for his his elect, for his church. And this became very popular in the 90s with the Left Behind books as well. And then the Left Behind movies, you know, they're they're on an airplane, they're talking, and all of a sudden people are disappearing and there's just a pile of clothes sitting there. It's this whole secret thing. It, it happens in the blink of an eye. And we'll get that to get to that a moment, um, another moment later. And then after the tribulation, there's a third coming where Jesus will basically, it's the end of the world, the resurrection of the dead. It's it, everything's going to come to an end. It's going to be a thousand year reign. So, as Catholics, though, we don't have that. It's it's only two comings. That's what the Bible teaches: only two comings, not three. Um, so that's that's one argument against the rapture, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Not only that, but uh, you recited in the creed, right? He'll right. come again to judge the living and the dead. There's nothing about 
you know, he'll come and then there will be a rapture and then he'll come and reign a thousand years. Right. So I talked about how, and that's a good point, Gary, you brought up the creed, how, how ancient it is. John Darby, who is like the godfather of dispensationalism, he was a preacher in the Church of Ireland. When he came to the United States, he became part of the Plymouth Brethren and he kind of he popularized this idea of the rapture. And it really took off when um, C.I. Schofield published his Schofield Reference Bible. Now that's like the that's like the Bible, and so other theologians like Charles Ryrie uh, came on. But what's interesting is early on you have some Protestant theologians pushing back right away. Hmm. In 1948, there is a theologian by the name of Dale Moody, not D.L. Moody, like Moody Bible Institute, but Dale Moody. He was a professor of systematic theology at at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he said that this idea of a rapture is theologically novel and really essentially can't be trusted. And this is very early on in its, in the mid 1900s um, before the idea really took off in the 1970s, but somehow it caught on, it became popular. And Gary, I think the reason it's become so popular is because as it's our human nature, we just don't want to suffer. <laughs> we don't want to go through those things. And so this idea that Christians will be here during the Great Tribulation, where there's going to be persecution, uh, where there's going to be we're going to be suffering for our faith, that doesn't really appeal to us on a cellular level. Okay, it's something we, by grace we have to partake of, but our human nature doesn't want to do that. We want the easy way, and believing in the rapture, where well, I, if I'm a Christian, I don't have to I don't have to go through any of this stuff. I'd just be taken up at the end of time and I'm good. I'm set. Maybe that, I mean, perhaps that's why it's become so popular. Mm -hmm. um, proponents yeah. will say that, that there's definitely script. People will say there's definitely that there's scriptural um, proof for it. But when you dig into the scriptural, those scriptural proofs, they just fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's also, you know, we tend to gravitate towards novelty and, yeah. uh, you know, if someone says, hey, there's this really interesting thing that's going to happen at the end of time. It's buried in Scripture. And, uh, you, know, we, you know, our ears perk up because it's, let's face it, I mean, the, the Catholic and historic teaching of the end times is pretty straightforward. <laughs> Jesus comes, we're judged, there's resurrection. And then you right. have the eschaton, right? I mean, right. Uh, not much there. <laughs> right. So we have this belief that a lot of people don't take it seriously, and it's definitely not as popular as it once was, but it's still out there. There are still Catholics who who think who think that it's what it, what church teaches just because mm -hmm. it is so popular. Yeah. Um, in RCIA, that's definitely a question that comes up every year. Okay, that last wow. class is all about eschatology, the end times, and the rapture always comes up, and every year would say this is not a Catholic teaching. It never has been. It hasn't been historic Christian teaching, not even within Protestantism. It's theologically new. Um, and it just, because of that, it just can't be true. Yeah, yeah very good. All right. We we're chatting with William Hemsworth, talking about the rapture. More to come on the other side of the break. You're listening to Hands on Apologetics.
Hi, this is Dr. Luis Sandoval from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You might have heard my show, The Dr. Luis Sandoval Show, where we talk about our health, our spiritual health, our mental health, and our physical health. Well, I want to tell you about an exciting conference coming up August 7th from 9 to 4 p.m. right here at the Sacred Heart Chapel at 381 West Center Street in Covina, California. It's called the Sex and Honor Conference. Is this a topic that you think you want to discuss as a Catholic? Well, this is the time to do it. Please join us at this conference. You can sign up at virginmostpowerfulradio.org to either be here in person or to get the virtual experience. What are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about how to discuss sex as married couples, what kind of questions you might have, how do we approach the topic as a married couple, and what does that mean for us in the sacrament of marriage? We're also going to be discussing how do we discuss sex with our children? How do we teach them about it? What questions might they have? Lastly, I'm going to give a talk on what roadblocks we might find in our modern-day society that might not coincide with our Catholic values. We're also going to have speaker Cherie Ballinger, who is one of the producers of the movie Roe vs. Wade. She's going to be letting us know her approach about bringing class and morals back to Hollywood. We're also going to have Mary Danielle Barber speaking to us on theology of the body. She's going to give us an approach from John Paul II as to how we can think about our bodies and make sex honorable and respectful. Please join us for this wonderful conference here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. You can sign up again at virginmostpowerful.org either to be here in person or to join us virtually. We hope to see you there. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics. We are chatting with William Hemsworth at williamhemsworth.com. Also, you know, the YouTube channel, which is amazingly popular and very cool, the Bible Catholic. And talk about the rapture. And, uh, yeah, William, uh, very good. You laid out the land as far as the rapture and and you're right. It's you know it's one of those things that even some Catholics get confused on. Um, they just are so familiar with it through uh, just Protestant, uh, you know, um, uh, what do I want to say? Social media, you know, things like that. It's in the air, uh, and they often get confused as to whether or not this is a Catholic doctrine. So, uh, is there anything about the Rapture that is Catholic or true? Well, Jesus will come again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We, we, we definitely know. Mark. We definitely know that. But um, <laughs> the whole idea about us be about Christians being caught up. No. Um, in fact, Scripture says just the opposite. All throughout Scripture, through the Old Old Testament into the New, and G, and Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Matthew as well. When he talks about the days of Noah, you know, and that's actually one of the verses that those who believe in the rapture go to let me go ahead and get to it real quick and okay that way we could read it off but um so in matthew 
oh, what was it? 2441, for example, or four, 2440 says, then two men will be in the field. One is taken and one is left. Well, if your idea of a secret rapture is where someone's just going to disappear in the blink of an eye like that, and you don't know when that's going to happen, that may sound convincing, especially if you're not really um, knowledgeable of the Bible. Maybe you haven't read this passage before, and someone's saying it's in the Bible. Look, it's right here. Let's back up a little bit. Let's back up just a few verses before into verse, um, verse 38, for example. It says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One is taken and one is left. So what happened with Noah and his family? Um, he's given the command to build the ark because the world is so evil at this point. God just like, he's, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to end this all. But there's this remnant here. There's these holy people. So Noah obeys. He builds the ark. And they're spared. Who gets swept away? It's those who do evil. It's those non-believers who are getting swept away. The believers are left. Okay. Right. So when, when those who believe in the rapture or teach the rapture use this verse, they leave those three verses before that one out, and it disproves that whole theory. The righteous will be left behind to usher in, to usher in the the second coming of Christ. Christ will, like I said several times already, Christ will come again, and we'll be caught up in the air, not because we're raptured but because we're ushering in our divine king to the earth. Hmm. it's And it's not secret. Um, and Paul, St. Paul talks about this as well. But to, to use that passage from Matthew as, as proof of the rapture, it's what we call eisegesis when we're studying the Bible. We're, we're taking one passage and we're kind of twisting it to fit into our tradition, if you will. We want it to fit our theology. But that's not what Jesus is saying. The righteous will be left behind. It's those who don't believe who are going to be swept away. So there's a big difference there uh, between the rapture and what Jesus is actually saying there in the Gospel of Matthew. Another one that's commonly used, and it's kind of the Trump verse for the rapture theory, is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call. And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. And so the church of Thessalonica, they were pagan. They didn't really, they weren't, they didn't really think, they weren't raised to think much of the afterlife. So when someone died, like that was it. And so in their mind, for whatever reason, they had this idea that, if those who were dead died before Christ came back, they weren't going to see the beatific vision. And so this was a very concerning thing for him. And so St. Paul is kind of laying their, their mind at ease here. Like, no, they will see it. But what is it? What else does he say here though, Gary? And again, the rapture says it's the secret second coming of Christ to take the church. The Lord will descend with a cry of command with an archangel's call with the sound of a trumpet. I don't know about you, but a sound of a trumpet isn't really a secret thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, um, 
it's a quite it's quite loud. If you haven't heard a trumpet, it's quite loud. It's you're gonna yeah, hear it's... it. You are going to hear it. It's not a secret deal. And then yeah, that's, the... that's what uh, Israel used to uh, signal an attack. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea is uh, using trumpets to coordinate large bodies of uh, people, right? I mean, right. right, it's not secret at all. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Oh, no, you're fine. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's definitely not a secret event. It's a, lar- it's a loud event. It's a public event. And when dispensationalists or those who believe in the rapture say that this is plain and literal... Well, what's so plain and literal? It doesn't say it's secret. It's loud. You're going to know it's happening. You know. And what's what's interesting here, Gary, is that St. Paul is actually, he's using apocalyptic imagery here as well. And we can link it back to the, we can link it back to the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus ascended in a cloud. He's going to come back with a cloud. How did the ancient Israelites receive the law, for example? The Lord was a cloud around heaven and they, went up to meet him mm-hmm. okay they went up to meet him so they didn't disappear or anything like that they went up to meet him um when the israelites went to take um jericho in the book of joshua what did they do with the trumpet they walked around seven times then with a loud trumpet blast the wall came down so we have all this imagery here it's not a secret it's going to be loud um so I, I having believed this myself, I'd look back and I wonder like how I got caught up in it sometimes. <laughs> but it was it really was the fervor of the nineties. If you were evangelical in the nineties, this was it. This was the popular view of eschatology. This was it. Like I said, ev- movies were coming out, books were out, trap um CDs were out. Everything was out talking about this. It seemed like it was wherever you went. But what's what's interesting about this passage from 1 Thessalonians is that it links up with what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so what those who believe in the rapture, they um, they use 2 Corinthians 15 as proof for the rapture because St. Paul says that Jesus will come in the twinkling or in the twinkling of an eye. But he also talks about the trumpet here. He talks about the last trumpet, which inaugurates the general resurrection. Okay. It's that general resurrection. And for, and that's exactly what he's talking about in first Thessalonians four sixteen. is that general resurrection, the resurrection of the dead of those who have died, not saying that they're going to be caught up secretly. It's ushering in the end of the world. Jesus' second coming. He's not coming a third time. And I'm sorry I say that a lot, but I have to hammer that home because it's just more, it's one more than two, Gary. It's simple math, right? <laughs> he's coming again. He's not coming two more times. That's that's the thing. And so the trumpet was, like you said, it was a liturgical instrument. It's, it's, what, it's what summoned Israel to come and meet the Lord. And we see that in the book of Exodus. And it was a time to worship. We see that all through the Torah. It was a sign of battle, too. It was a way to go into battle. You blew the trumpet, it was you. It was time to go into battle. And so all of these uses overlap in Scripture, and they overlap when it comes to the second coming. And 
our Lord is coming. We're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet him, to welcome him in. He's not taking us away from what's coming. It's it's the whole concept. We're welcoming him. It's like the like Palm Sunday, where our Lord is going into Jerusalem uh, during Passion Week. He's being welcomed. We're welcoming him. He's coming. He's coming for his bride. The evil has gotten so bad that Jesus is like, okay, it's time. I need to go get my, I need to go and be with my bride now on earth. Um, if you want to use that analogy. So this whole twinkling of an eye thing in first Corinthians 15, it, this, it doesn't add up it, because it's, it, it goes against that whole secret rapture ideal. So it's, it's describing the event that's going to happen in the last trumpet where the dead are going to rise. It's going to hold resurrection of the dead, Gary. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said too about this whole idea that, you know, crisis comes so that, uh, that the elect won't suffer, you know, that, that also seems counter to Christian gospel that, you know, uh, Jesus says for Christians to pick up their cross and follow him daily, you know, right. I mean, the, uh, the idea isn't to escape suffering. The idea is to make suffering redemptive by becoming more like Christ. Right. And when our, when our Lord uses that, that, that saying, you know, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Sometimes we're removed from the Roman empire, but his disciples, this was like a radical statement to the disciples. Like, what do you mean? Cause the cross was this instrument of death. They weren't wearing it across their necks. Like we do. They didn't have a crucifix hanging on their wall. Like we do at our home. This was a thing you wanted to avoid at all costs because it was the most painful means of execution ever devised. And here's Jesus saying, pick it up daily, die to yourself daily. And Jesus says later on in the gospels, Gary, I've based, and I'm summarizing here. I've experienced suffering. Do you think they're going to treat you any differently than they treated me? No, definitely not. We will suffer. But like you said, if suffering is redemptive through our suffering, people can come to know Christ as Lord and embrace his church by exactly what we do with that suffering too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're chatting with William Hemsworth at williamhemsworth.com, talking about the rapture. Got more to come on the other side of the break. You're listening to Hands On Apologetics. If you shop on Amazon.com, there's an easy way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just visit smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center under the desired charity. Now, when you log into your Amazon account and purchase products, a portion of it will automatically go to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio at no cost to you. Thanks in advance for supporting CRC and VMPR and may God richly bless you and your family. This is a catechetical minute from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The Church, a communion living in the faith of the Apostles which she transmits, is the place where we know the Holy Spirit. Catechism of the Catholic Church number 688.
The Holy Spirit speaks in the church in many ways, primarily through scripture, and then in tradition, in the teaching of the magisterium, through the sacred liturgy and prayer, as well as in each individual, through the people of God. Father, may our minds be tuned to the channels and the chosen instruments through which your Spirit speaks to us each day. This has been a Catechetical Minute, from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics. We're chatting with William Hemsworth about the rapture and uh, going through some scripture, looking at whether or not the New Testament actually teaches uh, the rapture and uh yeah, well, great points, William. I mean, because Jesus says, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Thieves generally don't toot horns you know, to announce their arrival, do they? They don't. They try to sneak in. They try to come in while everyone is sleeping, make as little noise as possible, get what they need and get out. They don't They don't announce they're coming. They definitely don't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, boy, you know, going through all the different... Um, uh, text that you just did, uh, you, you're right. It's just, it's not there, is it? It isn't, Gary. And I guess one of the main points to believe in the rapture is you kind of have to believe that, you have to believe that Jesus failed to establish his kingdom during his first coming. I mean, really, when you think about it. But what do we read in the Gospel of Matthew? The very, the first 17 verses in the Gospel of Matthew is the genealogy. And that genealogy links Jesus with the Davidic kingdom, how he's, he's how the Davidic kingdom has come in the person of Jesus again. But ultimately, what the what the rapture theory teaches is that yes, Jesus came. He he he, he preached to the Jews. They rejected him, and because he was rejected, his kingdom wasn't established. And it's going to come again at a later time. So in essence, Jesus failed during his earthly ministry somehow. Really, when you think about it, it's really problematic. What do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Absolutely. It it, it calls to mind, it it brings so many other issues with it. This is what John Nelson Darby, like the Godfather, wrote about it. He said, the Lord, having been rejected by the Jewish people, he said, is become a holy, heavenly person. Okay, does this mean that he's not in a glorified body? What does that mean exactly? Yeah. Um, it's a kind of a dualistic notion. And um, Schofield mentioned that he kind of echoed that in his reference Bible as well. But Charles Ryrie, in his systematic theology, 
kind of along the lines, you said through his earthly ministry, Jesus's Davidic kingship was offered to Israel, but was rejected. And because the king was rejected, the Messianic Davidic kingdom was postponed. Hmm. Um, okay, so a co couple issues with that. What's the church then? Now, they'll say that Jesus is still king, but what is he king of? Exactly. The whole part of Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament was the Messiah is going to come in the line of King David, you know, the root of Jesse, if you will, and, and, and all that. But here we are saying that Jesus failed to establish his kingdom the first time around. It really, so there's this whole concept, Gary, of we have the nation of Israel and we have Christians. So realistically, there's still two covenants going on. So we have the new covenant, obviously, which we're part of. But there's a, still that separate covenant for the Jewish people because they never accepted the first one in the first place. Theologically speaking, you run into a whole lot of, let's just say, interesting ground. Okay, <laughs> with yeah. that. Um, and this is a very prominent thing. That's why the nation of Israel is so important to those who believe the rapture. Now, there has to be that literal temple being built and, and all that. And that's a very interesting thing, too. This idea of this, this temple being built that the Messiah will sit in, or the Jews think the Messiah will sit in. And, you know, and the, those who believe in the rapture will... Look at Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 48, because it describes a temple, it describes sacrifices, and describes it in being in the land of Israel. A couple of issues, and they say it's identical to the temple that was in Jerusalem during Christ's time. Only problem is when you look at the sacrifices that are in that temple, Gary, that's being described in Ezekiel, in those eight chapters of Ezekiel, chapter 40 through 48, the sacrifices are actually different than what's laid out in the Torah. Okay. Hmm. If it was the same, you'd have the same sacrifices. But when you dig deeper, um, instead, instead of um, two lambs being sacrificed, for example, you have one. It's this, it's this imagery of a meal because then it talks about how people are partaking of this lamb. Eucharist. Hello, Eucharist. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> people are right? partaking of this lamb in this new temple. So what's this new temple? It's the church. This new temple is the church where there is the sacrifice and there's the communal meal. And so when you dig deep into those chapters, and there's a lot of imagery there, a ton of it. It's not when you, there's too many differences for it to be the same temple that was around when Jesus was. Okay, when Jesus was here during his doing his earthly ministry. And so that idea with the whole rapture thing, because they say that that temple has to be built first, the Antichrist will reign and then Jesus will come back. It's it gets really detailed and convoluted in a way. But there are two different there are two different things going on. Two different things are being described. It's it's talking about a new covenant temple uh, in those in those chapters of Ezekiel. And they're fascinating to read, but there's a ton of imagery in there talking about roots, almond trees, and everything else. It, it's really deep. <laughs> yeah, they're right. Yeah, and you know, it, I know from my work with the Deuterocanon that uh, one of the reasons why Ezekiel was 
some rabbis didn't want it to be part of scriptures. They thought it contradicted the Torah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that fits right in with what you're saying. Right. And they'll, and they'll link in that passage from Ezekiel 40 through 48. They'll link it along with Revelation 20 as proof for the millennial kingdom. Because, they'll, like I said, they'll claim that it has the animal sacrifices that are going to be renewed. But they're different. Now, some dispensationalists say that those sacrifices are symbolic. But then you have some say, no, it's those same sacrifices. So I don't know about you, Gary, but I don't I can't imagine a world today where we're going to bring animals to a temple to literally be sacrificed. I can't see that flying in today's world. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's um, it, it doesn't fly with Catholic doctrine. Um, Jesus didn't fail. He wasn't rejected by all the Jews. There were a lot of Jews that accepted him. I mean, his mother, uh, obviously, obviously, the apostles, uh, Nicodemus, for example. Mm -hmm. um, the church is not a plan B. The church was always thought of. Um, the catechism says that the church is the goal of all things. Okay. Um, and in catechism 1267 says, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body one people of the new covenant, which transcends all the natural or human limits of nations, cultures, races, and sexes. So the church transcends all of that. Um, the rapture, it's, it's trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. We're trying to avoid suffering. Um, we're avoid, we're, we're getting away from tradition and looking at scripture through our own eyes and coming up with a new theology so we're ignoring what the church fathers said. I mean, going back to St. Augustine's City of God, we have what the end times are about. We have what that thousand-year period is about. It's foreign to Catholic theology it, it, in all areas, really, except the idea that Jesus will come back. That we agree with. And yeah. come Lord Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so if it says Jesus is going to come and reign for a thousand years, then uh, what does it really mean then? Well, it's the church age. It's the church that is reigning. Um, so uh, like I said, it's based on city of God where the, the, the millennium was understood to be the church age. That's where the mm -hmm. king rules, even though that kingdom may not have been fully revealed. That's what St. Augustine says. And that's what the catechism says starting off in paragraph uh, 675. Yeah. yeah. Discusses that in depth. Yeah. So it's not literal thousand years. It's uh you know, thousand years uh, representing a, a long period of time. Right. And scripture does that in a lot of places. Uh, Peter says, you know, a thousand years is like one day, for example. So it's, 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 it's not a literal measurement of time, but it's a measurement of time to say that it's a long time. Right. So, yeah. so it could be, it could be a thousand years. It could be 2000 years. I mean, we're coming up on 2000 years already. So obviously if it's a thousand year reign and the church already started, it's a symbolic, it's a symbolic thing. We're in the church age. The church is spreading the gospel throughout the known world, spreading the message of Christ, baptizing, teaching, bring believers into the fold, into the new temple, which is the church. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, hey, um, you know, I want to finish a little early because I want to talk about all the great stuff that you're doing. Uh, tell us. Uh, well, tell us what's on tap uh, for uh, the Bible Catholic channel. Well, I just said, Gary, we talked to you on Friday, and that show is going to post on Monday. And we talked about, is salvation guaranteed? And we talked an hour about all the different 
verses in there. So that was great. I talked with Matt yeah. Frad. Yes. I talked with Matt Frad yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Neat. Uh, we, we talked to him about his new book that's coming out about um, happiness and St. Thomas is a secret to a good life. Um, talking with David L. Gray tomorrow. Uh, we're we can talk some uh, critical race theory. It's always a fun topic to talk about. Yeah. yeah. But we have a, a lot of stuff coming up. I'm talking with Bishop Strickland on the 27th. Wow. Awesome. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot of great things coming up. Um, really blessed that William, William Albrecht and I are exchanging emails. I'm trying to get him back on to talk about our blessed mother. He's a, he's a very busy guy. He's all over my TV on YouTube right now. <laughs> God bless him. Uh, yeah, he certainly is. But yeah, so I'm, and, and what I'm doing on my channel as well is every day I'm doing the daily mass readings and a biography of the saint of the day. So I'm doing, so that, that's going on every day. And I'm doing, I'm doing it from the old Douay Reams Bible, um, you know, just for copyright issues <laughs> because it's public oh, sure. domain. But I'm doing that every day. So that's been very fruitful for me personally, just reading scripture and learning about the saint of the day. Just doing that every day has been a great blessing for me. But a lot of great stuff going on on the channel, have great interviews going on. I try to load two interviews a week on there in addition to the things I do during the week. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you're really hopping. And uh, it's just great content. And, uh, you know, except for my appearance. Uh, oh, no, well, actually, great you interview. know what? <laughs> You know, it was awesome because, you know, I've talked a lot. Uh, I've done parish talks and seminars and stuff on uh, why eternal security is, is false. But I think that was the first time I ever got interviewed by someone who actually held that position at one time. So that was actually a really fun conversation I had with you. Yeah, it was fun. We went through some of those verses that I used to say, and then we just we kind of blew them out of the water and looked at the rest yeah. of Scripture to say, hey, that's not the case. So it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, William, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Gary. Thank you. All right. That's William Hemsworth. Check out his stuff, WilliamHemsworth.com. Also, just go on YouTube, type in The Bible Catholic. You'll see it. Man, it's already time for me to shut down the Midwest Command Center, turn off the dojo lights. Thank you so much for listening. And God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. But stay tuned because High Impact Catholic Talks coming at you with the Terry and Justin Jones. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.